Next Chapter Podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, welcome back to How I Got Greenlit. I'm Alex Collegian along with my co-host Ryan Gibson. Hi, everybody. And this is part two of our talk with makeup and special effects artist Alex Noble. He's one of our favorite filmmakers that we've collaborated with in the past and will again in the future. And one of our favorite guests. Please, if you haven't, treat yourself to part one where Alex uh, tells us a lot about his adventures in the screen trade, behind the scenes on major, major motion pictures. He's friends with uh, that uh, Desperate Housewives lady. I didn't he's, know that. He is, yes, he's clo- he, he worked Eva on Desperate Longoria. Housewives for many years. Eva Longoria speaks very highly of him. One of my favorite, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Captain Marvel, Ford versus Ferrari. The guy's been around. He's done stuff, as they say. He did some things. I know some stuff. Enjoy it. And this is part two, where he discusses uh, one of his favorite B-side films, and we get to get into it with him. It's actually a collection. Let's just say what it really is. It's a collective conversation about many B-sides. Yeah, rather than one movie, we were just, he wanted uh, he wanted to tell us about some of the outstanding makeup and special effects work that he's seen or he's been inspired by in of films past. So it's sort of a it's it's great. It's sort of an instructional of it's an avant-garde you know, collection. Yeah, it's it's look, it's what we love, which is how things are made. Uh, you know, all the sort of ins and outs of the, you know, the screen trade, the, 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 the movie magic, you know, something that looks amazing on screen might look completely ridiculous in person. Terrible. That's and terrible. you think that pass. you're dead in the water until you look at the footage and realize, Boom. oh, magic, movie magic, as we say. Yeah. It's like a magic trick sometimes. Anyway, it's Alex Noble. Enjoy. We uh, we enjoyed it. We think you will too. And thanks for joining us. We're How I Got Greenlit. Join us, How I Got Greenlit, at Twitter and Instagram, howigotgreenlit.com, and howigotgreenlit at gmail.com. And be sure to like and subscribe on whatever platform you are listening to right now. And without further ado, Alex Noble, part two. Thanks for joining us. Here's a bigger point that we got to get to, which is, uh, this is something I learned from you, Alex Noble, is that the HMU trailer, hair and makeup, specifically makeup artists who spend an ungodly amount of time next to the talent. No, literally within inches of their face, touching their face. Like it's as intimate as you can get next to like their, their wife or, or husband. That, that is... <laughs> That is the that is where all the info comes from. If you oh, want to, yeah. if you want to, as a good producer out there or a good director, you want to have your best friend be your people in hair and makeup because they know. And with candor, 
can help solve a lot of issues that Huge. would not would not would avoid not just solve yeah. avoid back channels yeah. the back I'm trying channel to come up with the analogy i mean i'm thinking like master and command you're almost like the ship's doctor right if a crew or a set is like an old sailing ship and there's the designation of the you know the masters and commanders are uh, you know the, the the officers are on the top deck and the below the you know the, the below the decks is the below the line um you're the confessor psychologist best friend priest everything and and you explained it to me because i didn't know that that's not in film school i never read it in a book and now it's so obvious to me it's not just oh look a stinger i learned a fun word that was one of the most crucial things for me personally and as ryan said like became uh, uh knowledge and wisdom that's so important is that yeah. And I think I didn't know it, but I, us being aligned as people first helped. If you weren't rooting for me, you wouldn't have shared that with me. You would have been right. like, hey, I'm here. I'll do the job. We're done on Tuesday. But yep. you said, hey, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to tell you a secret. And I said, what's that? And you said, I can be a real resource for you beyond the job that you've hired me to do. And here it is. And, and we were like, Holy shit, he's right. And so it was almost like a weather report. You'd say this person's like this and this person's like this and this person's like this and, and act accordingly. And I would modify my communication style. So uh, we're trying something new. And we're excited about it. And, and some of it is related to you, Alex, because you're one of our first um, below the line guests. A lot of our guests have been producers and directors and, you know, not that you're any less a filmmaker, but the reason I say that is because you have a distinct uh, job and- um, Artisan. It, 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 yes, a craftsman, an artistman, an artist, and and as man. such, it's fun. We can create like almost a montage of because you rattle off a lot of cool names, and I want to just say, hey, put a like, tell us one of your influences, and then he or she, the work that they did, as sort of like, what would you say is like your your top five beauty makeup in film or television? work of anybody that you've seen past, present, future, uh, that you were impressed with or that influenced your work? Jesus. Uh, I mean, you know, it's, and it doesn't have to be a top five. It can be things that just you just you some of the best work that you're like, like, you remember, like for being example, like, we could start with creature. You said taught in, in, in no uncertain terms that the alien monster is the best cinematic monster. Is that, your opinion? In my opinion. Yeah. And that's what we yeah. want. We want your opinion yeah. because you're a pro, right? We can all, there's plenty of podcasts where film nerds talk about their thing, but you know how hard it is to achieve such a thing. So you think the yeah. monster, and is that the, the, the Swiss artist Giger design <laughs> design, or is it the execution and the sculpting? Is oh. it the, the shooting and the lighting? I mean, what it just was everybody. I mean, here's the thing. You can have the, you can have the coolest monster design in the world. If the people that are making it don't do it right, it's going to look like garbage. Right. You know, I mean, if it, you know, there's a reason why Ridley Scott barely shot the, the only full body shot that you ever see of the alien 
in Ridley Scott's Alien is at the end when he's tumbling out of the ship. And we can all agree that that's the only time in the entire film that you're like, oh, that's a dude in a suit. <laughs> you know? Um, a very tall, Cameron, lanky guy in a suit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, it, 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 Man looking in back on it, I mean, that movie came out in 1978. You know, so that really... I mean, you know, Creature from the Black Lagoon, that was a dude in a suit, obviously. Um, you know, but it it was always shot as a dude in a suit. He was either swimming or walking or grabbing or swatting or whatever. It was always a dude in a suit. It was the design that made it so amazing and groundbreaking. Uh, with Alien, it was a dude in a suit that was shot at most a quarter of the suit at a time. I mean, like I said, the only full body shot you ever see of the alien is it hanging by that thread out the back of the Sulaco, uh, 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 sorry, the, the, the uh, Nostromo. Escape uh, pod or whatever, yeah. 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 Yep. yeah, but I would say that, you know, on a lot of uh, a lot of creature stuff, that getting that close up, because there were some extreme close ups, the mouth, you know, you're right in there, the front, the front part of the alien, you would not risk that in some in some uh creature features because if you get that close you're going to see the where where it fails and that oh, thing yeah, was absolutely. made that thing was so bulletproof close up that it was like even even though the teeth were made of like it looked like steel it for some reason with the story and everything they could get that close up because there was no flaws in that design that close up and i think that's what's fascinating yeah, that's one of the beautiful things about doing a creature makeup like that is even if there was a flaw, you wouldn't really notice it because what is it? You know, as opposed to like if you're doing an old age makeup, you know, you can spot a sculpting uh, a sculpting tool mark, you know, because it just doesn't look like skin. Right, right, right. right. And so do you think that gives you some do you think that gives you some leeway to I guess I guess I'm saying is there a difference between I'm trying to think of creatures that I've watched. The only thing that I've seen lately is Cocaine Bear, and that obviously <laughs> is a lot of visual. That's all visual effects. All CG. It's all CG. But like I'm trying to think of like Terminator, for instance. You know, for as cool as the original Terminator was, and I still it's one of my I love it. Um, when he is in the um, when he is when he in the gets, future the full body. No, no. When he he's lost facial skin and it's his eye, and you can tell it's a dummy head. Like they've made a full head that's a dummy head. You know, like you're like, oh, that's not Arnold Schwarzenegger. And another one where now. I lose now, not then, exactly now, exactly a hundred percent. But also after seven hundred revisions, like a lot of those makeups back then were not made for repeat viewings and slow mo and still frame like videotape no. and later. It was just like, hey, they saw it in the theater for three seconds, and that's it's seared in their memory. They're never going to see it again. Yeah, yeah. And then I and then the other one that always tripped me out as a kid, and I am still terrified to this day. I tried to watch it over Halloween and could not get through every scene. Is when the guy, the scientist goes into the bathroom in poltergeist and starts tearing his skin away. <laughs> yeah, I rewatched Oh, yeah, that. no, that's a good one. Oh, <laughs> 
and seeing the sink at the bottom as chunks <laughs> fall down on They must have had 17 guys like you squirting goo on this. <laughs> There's a lot of ectoplasm oh, yeah. in that film. But that I I always I have a real problem because I fell through a, a Civil War grave when I was a, a young kid. Uh, my my lineage, a part of my lineage, is buried in a very old country cemetery, and we used to go out and do. They went back in the day. They used to go and do put the change the flowers like Veterans Day, uh, Memorial yeah, Day. This was a thing that you do back in the Midwest and the East. You went the the older folks went and did the flowers on the graves. They tended the graves. I don't think people do that very much anymore. Um, anyway, the point being is I was running around on the really old side of the cemetery. And uh, my leg went through uh, a grave, and it was because there were um, what are the what are those moles or uh, you know burrowing. gophers? Gophers get in there, and they just go through it. And back then, they didn't put concrete vaults in the ground. And I remember my leg went. I went all the way up to my crotch, and I was I lost it. It freaked <laughs> me the fuck out. And so I always have problems like in Poltergeist when she falls in the pool. Like it is horrifying. It's horrifying. (laughs) Anyway, I digress. I just like those kind of things. The, especially the mirror scene in Poltergeist is just holy shit. It's it's amazing to me. It's awesome. And I mean, that's the thing. You know, that's that's one of the beauties of the practicality of it. It's visceral. I mean, the the guy was actually pulling pieces of skin off of his face. Yeah. You know, he wasn't just imagining it in the mirror, and then they did it in post. Yeah. He actually physically stood there and was pulling his jaw and you were seeing exposed skull and bone and jaw. And it's, it's, I mean, I always, I think we've lost some of that, um, unfortunately. Yes and no, because the thing about makeup is it's, it's an additive process. You can never take away. So with the advent of higher caliber cameras, higher, you know, higher values in HD, all that kind of stuff, you know, when, when you see a makeup on an actor that requires the actor to look thinner it still makes the actor look larger disproportionately because you know say for instance the movie thinner right um the way that they the way that they made him look thinner was they increased the cheekbones increased the brow bones increased the chin and the jaw and then left the sunken bits but you're still adding things so unless you compensate with costume uh body uh, uh um like uh, a bodysuit of some kind or anything like that compensate for the size, it's always going to be noticeable. Mm. And so, you know, that's why like, you know, every suit performer is pretty much skinny as a rail is because when they add the makeup, it makes the person look normal proportionately. Hmm. Do you, do you like this stuff? Are you attracted to this stuff by like uh, Guillermo del Toro and like his kind of creature design? One of my best friends is his creature designer. Oh really? Yeah, Mike Hill. My oh yeah, Mike Hill. Mike Hill. Um, I don't know. I don't know him personally, but I've seen I've seen the name associated with that. Uh, is he? Would he say he's your favorite, or do you have other favorites? I mean, he who Mike or Guillermo? 
just guys like Guillermo who still dabble or work in creature design. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm absolutely going to have an affinity for anybody who would prefer to do it in makeup versus all visual effects. You know, I mean, cabinet of curiosities, uh, you know, like Mike did the body, uh, that turns into the Cthulhu at the end of the first episode, you know, but that Cthulhu had to be done digitally. There's no way they could have done that practically and make it look real. Right. Right. You know, um, like it was funny cause I actually just watched uh species three last night and oh, I mean, buddy, dude, those are some high end makeup people working on that, like high end. And even then it still looked boogity, you know, it was like, okay, the tentacles were clearly latex rubber, you know, that were being wiggled. exactly and you know so it's like there are limitations extreme limitations that happen when it comes to practical makeup effects where yes visually they would look more amazing i mean look at um uh davy jones in um in uh uh, dead man's chest yeah yeah pirates of caribbean there's no way that could have been done physically and make it look real not not for any kind of budget i mean that would have been you know, a $2 million makeup. Right. And six, six guys like moving tentacles behind him. Yeah. Well, they probably would have done it digitally. I, when I say digitally, I mean like, you know, computer controlled because like, for instance, uh, Michael Azaldi, who is another fan favorite of mine. Uh, he owns a company called um, Spectral Motion and they did all of Guillermo's stuff for Hellboy, Hellboy 2, um, if you go and, there, if you walk in, they have like all of in their offices. I've been there a few times. They have some really incredible stuff from the film. Oh yeah, they have Belial or whatever the demon dog's name is. I can't yeah, remember his name. Um, excuse me, but the Angel of Death was all digitally controlled. The wings and the eyes on the, the wings the were thing, the thing that the eyes blink in the wings. Yeah, yeah, that was all done by Mark Zatrakian, who. Uh, if you want to talk about like, you know, mechanics in the industry, there's God, then there's Mark, then there's Larry O'Dean, uh, like Mark and Larry are kind of like this in my, in my opinion. And then there's like a bunch of other people, but like Mark is a weird Frankenstein genius when it comes to doing any kind of computer controlled movement. So had he, and again, I mean, my experience with computer controlled movement is limited to Mark and Larry. Um, but you know, if anybody could handle doing tentacles and make them look real, it would be one of those two. And you bring up a cre- that creature in the first hell, the Guillermo del Toro's Hellboy, which I really, really love that movie. Um, that demon dog that ends up being able to replicate itself and spawn, they use it against Hellboy. Yep. That was a mix of a practical, full suited yep. guy who was running on all fours. I think he had some sort of still. Uh, yeah, he has stuff. Extension yeah, the, the little yeah, with the Andy Circus like King Kong trick. Yeah, right. And when you but right exactly. And when you see that thing in person in their office, you're like, God dang, that looks fucking real. That looks yeah, it looks real. It well, is are amazing. You, are you to a Boteen guy? Like you mentioned, the thing. Oh, yeah. you, you know, is that uh, RoboCop? Yeah, RoboCop. Uh, yeah, and that was a mix of practical. Ed two hundred nine was a real thing, but it, it, like a full physical thing, a big guy. And then it also was a miniature that they used yeah. stop motion animation on. And I would Phil say Tippett. that, yeah, Phil Tippett. And I would mm-hmm. say that was incredible. That was still when you watch it to this day, even though you know it's stop motion. 
it's it it stands up to me. I, well, I think it was, it was awesome. the Terminator, right? Yeah, it was the Terminator head. Uh, the, Alex, have you seen the uh, the making? I forget the name of it. Uh, the the glossy Lawrence Kasdan uh, doc uh, series about um, the making of like ILM, like the whole story of ILM. The 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 fascinating uh, uh, episodes are where you see the hands on creature people slowly being replaced by like computers and people at desks and you know less of the like smelly latex like paint strewn um handmade garage vibe and slowly becoming the corporate server rooms and the the little cubicles and it's it's sort of a you know it's i love where it's going i mean obviously it gets more and more spectacular i just saw uh, Avatar two the other day, but uh, on the other hand, there's that just just something lost. There's something that that the tinkerers, uh, toy makers, studio vibe is being lost a little bit in the middle. Well, it's it's the it's the physicality again. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's the fact that on Jurassic Park they had digital dinosaurs, which could not have been done practically. There's just no way you could have a herd of gallimimus, you know, all guys in suits. It's not, not physically capable, not physically practical. But you had a life-size animatronic brachiosaur head, you had and neck. You had a life-size T-Rex that was full body. You had elements that allowed you to be terrified and react. And and the so, actor you know, and the actor to react and the actor. Oh, that's to, what I mean. That's yeah, what yeah. I mean. Yeah, because you know, a tennis ball is great if you have to look at it, but if you have to do dialogue, I mean, you know, titles, you know, <laughs> right. it, it's yeah, it's like oh my god, it's orange fur. Um, <laughs> but you know, the the thing is, is that um, it just financially becomes unacceptable to production to you know do because i mean to, to to do a character like that or a creature like that because you're talking about you know let's say on like jurassic park right that was done in 1990 1990 um you had probably well i know crash mccreary was one of the designers so he was designing the dinosaurs then you had about i would say probably 10 to 15 sculptors per dinosaur probably about five to six mold makers per dinosaur, however many people it took to run the foam latex to put the dinosaurs in, however many mechanics it took to build the actual mechanics, as well as affording the, 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 uh, the materials, the hydraulics, the, 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 the metal, uh, metal milling machines, um, and however many hours they had to pay, you know, because anything over eight hours is overtime. Uh, combine that with then building everything together, putting it together, testing it, making sure it works, making sure it doesn't work, what doesn't work, they fix. I mean, you're talking about it, it can get up into the tens of millions of dollars when for $2 million, you can get behind a computer and just have somebody do this and make it work. <laughs> right. And off the shelf. Right. Exactly. And so we're not, I mean, you're not saying you're not one of these old codgers that are like, God damn digital. I mean, I think it's the blend. It's like any tool that you can use to make it better, make the film better. It doesn't matter where it comes from. And it usually comes down to what you're saying, which is there's not one catch-all. It's always got to be bespoke for the job. And we'll, the, the, usually the line's over here, but I'll take this much and then I'll hand you this and then you guys finish it or I'll, you guys do that and I'll finish it on set. And it's always, 
you know, what Ryan was saying, like sort of the, the, all the team sits down and says, here's the problem to solve. And we all throw our, you know, uh, ideas or suggestions and then it becomes like a, a group effort. Oh, Alex. Alex, Alex is awesome. Me? Would you say that's correct, Alex? The other one. Every all the all the Alex's currently on this episode are are have been awesome. Yes. I do want to take a break though because I want to say that it doesn't get any better than this conversation with Alex, but I also want to say the truth is we have a lot of excellent conversations. Incredible interviews with brilliant creative minds just like Alex. You know, we're going to get back to Alex, but, but let's focus on something here real quick. Back in our vault. The greatest as I hits. Like to say. Greatest hits, let's say. Other other episodes. Do you remember when we talked to writer-director Ollie Blackburn? Who? Ollie Blackburn. Who? Ollie Blackburn. You might know him of from such Of course I remember. Films. I knew you would. <laughs> if you haven't listened to that episode, Ollie is British, so don't be thrown off by that. Yes, we do have British people on the show. We have men and women on the show. We have We take anyone on the show well that 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 implies that we have no discretion and anyway we'll take any we have no discretion anyway (laughs) (laughs) ollie was kind enough to come on the show he uh currently is directing dangerous liaisons the television show which is great oh my god the billboards all over los angeles it's as high as a building the highly regarded uh huge hit yes giant hit uh, we're going to listen to Ollie Blackburn, uh, where he discusses, and this is this actually is a really good quote. I like this: "Is unwavering faith in your own personal self." Take it away, Ollie. I, I think if you if you really want to do it, but more importantly, if you really want to be great at it, and to be great at it, whether you're an actor or you're a director or you're a trumpet player, you just need to have that passion to believe that this is what you're doing. You couldn't be doing anything else, and that, that you're you're giving something to the world. Um, you know, you do have to believe that, even if you're deluded. And for that, you need to be really emotionally connected. You need to be in love with it. And I think, you know, mm. everyone's starting point comes from a place of I just fell in love with this. You know, when I was I was 13, I, you know, I was an awkward kid, as I'm sure a lot of your guests were as a lot of artists were uh i found it easier to connect with the whoa, world in whoa. a darkened you're room taking shot <laughs> you're taking shots at our past guests easy <laughs> well or at us look i wasn't on the field i wasn't on the field playing you know captaining the soccer team uh, you know that wasn't right 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 <laughs> I'm clinically malcoordinated. I was the guy who had footballs <laughs> hitting his head, you know. <laughs> clinically, clinically malcoordinated. Yeah. That is a I, very well, British brilliant. way to per, put it. Yeah. I am dyspraxic. I literally don't know my left from my right. <laughs> I can't use my arms good. <laughs> Me can't kick. Um, so that meant that, you know, my safe space was uh, was watching movies. How about that, Alex? Do you feel inspired by having unwavering faith? Do you have a new, do you, do you, in some introflection or introspection, do you feel like Ali perhaps is some type of new world preacher who's inspired you to do more than you ever could do before? I just like when you like someone's work and then you meet them and they actually are 
they don't disappoint. They're right? even they're, more cool and they're, fun. They're better, yeah, they're yeah, they're nicer people than you know you you would hope. That's about it. Back to Alex Noble. Alex, should we go back to Alex? <laughs> Absolutely. Take it away, Alex. All right, I'm going to throw some because I'm just dying to know. Like a Captain Marvel set is that the biggest? craziest level of like scope of uh set that you were on uh in terms of like just i mean overwhelm of like oh my god it's like this and that and the other and that did you feel like a cecil b demille set or was it just like any other shoot um captain marvel was really cool i mean i was just one of the additionals brought in to do krill makeup and then torfins in the very beginning nice um that was that was very interesting because it was definitely one of the most intricate sets I've been on. So like, you know, when they're doing the end sequence on the Krill ship and like just being around all of this, like, you know, super high tech advanced stuff. Uh, same thing with Picard, you know, being on mm-hmm. the board ship for Picard. It was just like, nice. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, that was another, that was another greenlit moment for me. was working on Picard. Freaking uh, Borg, man. How much, awesome. how much of the Borg ship did they have built? Uh, I, the stuff that I saw was all like hallways and corridors, but still it was, you know. it was, it was like, I'm on, but it's fucking Borg right next to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude has a freaking tube coming out of his eye hole. What the hell? Yeah, exactly. It's well, amazing. they didn't do those Borg. It, it kind of upset me, but, um, they did the, it was, Borg. the thing is I, I grew up on Star Trek next generation. That's yeah. one of the shows yeah. that made me want to be a makeup artist. Yeah. And so by the time I got in the union, every Star Trek show was now no longer in production. Uh, just in so time. Generations yeah. had gone. Uh, the movie had gone. Uh, right. I mean, the generation movies had gone. DS9 uh, was DS9, DS9 was, over. was gone. Enterprise yeah. was gone. And so then they started with J.J. Um, Abrams' Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. And I was not well known enough in the union circles to be a part of that. Right. Cause that was 2009, I think, or 2007, no, 2009. And so I didn't get a chance to go on that. Uh, Star Trek two was done up in Canada, Star Trek beyond, which was the third one. Uh, Joel Harlow was doing, was prepping it here in LA. And I got the call to come in and work on the shop. So I was running some of the silicone pieces for Star Trek beyond. And, um, so they had asked me like, you know, Joel and, and, and Steve his his right hand at the time. Uh, we're like, Hey, do you have a passport? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, all right, we're probably going to be bringing you up to Canada. And I'm like, Oh, okay. And then I find out that they're not bringing me up to Canada. Like me and four other people or five other people were cut from the, from the crew just because they Canada kickbacks wouldn't allow for it. And, uh, so once again, there's my star Trek moment, literally just plucked getting pulled away from me it was like so, uh it was like the uh t- the, when the transporter has the problems and the and the, the people come like this yeah luckily oh! luck, 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 luckily whatever we got back didn't live long yeah, i mean you know to me it was it was the old analogy of like here fat kid here's the chocolate cake but don't eat it yeah. you know yeah. what here's a spoon oh i need that spoon back and so I was just like, well, this is the way it's going to be. And then uh, uh, I contacted James McKinnon 
and and Sylvie and Alexi and all them. And I told them, I said, listen, guys, if you're doing Picard, please, 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 please. This is a bucket list project for me, I, you know. And they brought me on and they kept me on for the entire season. Not every day, but, you know, when, when we had big days, I was there almost every single day. That's awesome. And ironically, I never did get to do a Borg, but I was doing a lot of the Romulans. That's cool. Oh, nice. Good. And then, so, uh, so God, I mean, you have done so many cool franchises. And then, of course, The Walking Dead. Uh, you're in zombie, zombie. That mode. Well, it was Fear the Walking Dead, and actually, right. that was probably. I just one meant of the, the Walking Dead effects. verse, but yeah, Fear Family. the Walking Dead. Yeah. yeah. Show. yeah. Um, well, because people have gotten in trouble in the past for saying they worked on Walking Dead when they actually haven't. Oh no, no, no. yeah, no, I, I, I meant the, the universe, the, <laughs> so, the, the the franchise. Oh, absolutely, of, absolutely. Yeah, the WD, um, and also Army of Dead, a uh, recent zombie picture that I was a real yep. fan of. Um, Shot in Atlantic City, New Jersey. Uh, the the set for Fear the Walking Dead. I think it was like my second or third episode, uh, or actually second or third day on the show. Uh, we were doing a beach sequence where a jumbo jet had crashed on the beach. So it was wild to to walk out onto the beach and just see like an airplane turbine and there's the cockpit and there's the tail section. There's a wing <laughs> sitting out into the ocean. Like, I'm just like, yeah. what the fuck is Mo going on? Moving magic. Yeah. I love yeah. it. Yeah, that was yeah. great. So you shot that in uh, where you're in Mexico for Fear of the Walking yeah, Dead. Yeah, Fear right? of the Walking yeah. Dead was done in Mexico for seasons two and three. So tell us a little. I mean, I know we're going off our thing, but I'm so curious. Like when you shoot in, I mean, obviously Canada is another country, but it's pretty close. So Canada, Mexico. You just uh, you did two big shows in Saudi Arabia recently. Like, what are the what's the fun or what are the challenges when you're really far away from home? When you're not only you're not only well, away from your home, you're out of the country. You might be nine time zones away. What is what is that like? So Mexico is relatively easy because I was four hours away. Right. Saudi Arabia was that was. You know, when people say you always learn and when you stop learning, that's when you should stop doing. Yes. Okay. I learned a lot working in Saudi. Uh, it was my first time working with a European crew. It was the first time working in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just the culture is so different from what we have here because, yeah. you know, I'm trained in the American way of doing film, right? Like we were talking about earlier, you know, for me, a battery is a brick. For a European, a battery is a biscuit. Right. Rolling. Or radio. Right. right. Rolling, turn right. cameras. Yeah. Um, and so on top of that, you have the cultural differences because we were working with Saudi crew. And, uh, so you have the Muslim culture, which is amazingly gentle. You know, again, I'm talking about people, not government, I'm not talking about, you know, belief systems or anything like that. But, you know, a lot of people tend to go oh, Muslim and get scared. And it's like, they were so amazingly open and loving and caring uh, it was just, it was such an eye-opening experience and it was amazing. And I'd go back in a heartbeat. Um, where the problems come in is the communication problems. Uh, also, there's a lot of ego. So it's like, you know, uh, I need you to do it this way. Why do I need to do it that way? Because that's the way we do it. But this is not the way that I do it. But how do you know how to do it when you've never done it before? <laughs> you know, it's like that kind of stuff fascinating it's fascinating working it's if you ever have to go on the road to, quote unquote to make a movie it's it's fascinating 
Oh yeah. Well, I mean, we're we're a moving city. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, we have our we have our own yeah, we have our own everything. economy. We have our own police force. We have our own plumbing. We have our own electricity. We have our own housing. Like, I yeah. mean, it's just it's food supply, water supply. Yeah, exactly. It's a circus without animals. <laughs> or some two or we, or we are or we are the animals um yeah tell me you know it, speaking of like i don't even know where this would fall if it's beauty or effect or whatever but once gary oldman won the best actor uh of whatever year that was uh a couple of years ago for winston churchill and he had that oh really darkest trans- that transformation into churchill uh, you're starting to see that more and more, especially like I think of Jared Leto in House of Gucci, where he was so unrecognizable that Al Pacino asked, who's this weird Italian guy on the set? So are you are you seeing that more, that sort of like are actors wanting to go back to almost the olden days where they're like completely covered head to toe? And Some of them. Sort of, yeah. Some of them. I mean, Gary Oldman is the Bella Lugosi of our time, you know, I mean, yeah. or, or the Lone Chaney or, you know, yeah. and it's just, you know, and, and there's a, there's a maestro named Kazuhiro Suji, who is the one who designed and applied his makeup for uh, Darkest Hour. And Kazu had retired from the industry. Like he was like, I am out. I don't want to do this. And, um, Gary actually called Kazu and said, I'm not doing this movie unless you do the makeup. So yes and no. I mean, there is, there is somewhat of a Renaissance going on, but again, then you fight the battle of the bean pickers, uh, bean counters. Sorry. Uh, (laughs) You know what I meant? Um, uh, You know, who are just like, you know, well, you know, we can save 35 cents on this if we don't do this. And it's like, yeah, but dickhead, you're going to lose $100,000 in the end. Yes, but we've saved 35 cents on the front end, so we don't care about the back end later. Yeah. You know, those those are the idiots that are that – are, and yes, I do call them idiots because they have no idea what we do, nor do they care. All they care about is making sure that they come in under budget or that they get enough in their pocket that it makes it worthwhile for them to do the show. And unfortunately, it's like it's it's a constant battle between us and them in regards to how much money do you want to pay to make it look good? I mean, that's the bottom line. How much money do you want to pay to make it look good? And so, you know, you'll have actors like Gary Oldman that are like, you know, well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we need to do this because he is in such high demand that he can make those decisions. He can say, I'm not doing the movie unless you do the makeup. Like, fuck you, you know. Um, but then you have movies that it's like the actors have no power and the 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 accountants are the ones that make all the decisions. And I, I mean, I have never met an accountant that does art, you know, just like I've never met an artist who does accounting. So something that people, something that the producers and everyone have to has to think about is not only does Gary have a 10 or 12 hour shooting day, I don't know what his schedule is. He might have stuff written into his contract that says he only works this amount of hours per day. And some talent, some actors do have that, but you also have to think about, he gets up at, you know, three thirty or four o'clock in the morning just to get in the chair for four hours. And I think, oh, yeah. and I think 
and I think what you're saying about short-sightedness, and I always say this to Alex, I said, really, accountants have a better chance of making a movie these days than we do. And it's because you can figure out, no matter how much you understand or know the budget, if someone believes that making a decision now and not thinking about the creative is going to save them money in the end without knowing the creative is a very, it's not a well-rounded decision-making process or tree, whatever you want to call it. And you have to understand, and I, and I think you'd even be open to the fact, I think you'd even be open to the fact it would be a different relationship if the accounts were to come down or the money folks were to come down and say, tell me why, tell me in your opinion, why we should do it this way financially instead of this way. But that does, that, that conversation 100%. never happens. And I think this goes to what, what you and Alex started talking about in the beginning is that just to round out this entire conversation is that all of the, everything that we do when you make a film or television show or whatever is about these relationships. You get jobs because of relationships. You get jobs because of your attitude and your artistic work. All of these things meld together. But when you have factions that are above who make decisions without consulting the people, the really the soldiers, the boots on the ground, the commanders of those people, I think that's when you get a disconnect and you're like, they don't understand what they're doing just because they think, like you said, they're, you know, stepping over a dollar to pick up a quarter or whatever. You said it much more eloquently than I did. And well, I, I mean, and my, I, my, favorite, my favorite is like when, you know, when you'll have a producer or somebody go, well, why does it take 45 minutes? My girlfriend only takes 20 minutes. And it's like, okay, your girlfriend, a has grown up with her face. B, she's doing the same makeup she does every single day. Right. And C, she doesn't have to worry about continuity from different scenes. Oh. And it's like. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that that is an argument that happens so much. Why is it taking yeah. so long in hair and makeup? Well, it was like, and I, by the way, I say that with disgust in my voice only because I've had that conversation so many times. <laughs> I don't mind. I Honestly, here's the thing. I don't mind if somebody comes to me and says, Alex, I don't get it. Why does it take so long to do the makeup The conversation. when, you know, my girlfriend takes 20 minutes? At which point, if I have time, I will gladly explain it. Look, we got continuity issues. You know, this, this, we have a specific look to, you know, I have no problem holding somebody's hand and saying, here, let me guide you down the path of enlightenment in regards to what I know. Right. Let but me teach you, you have something. to have that conversation. A hundred percent. Because. You know, it it, it, it it goes back to it's funny because I like, say you heal the world one conversation at a time and it goes to that aspect as well. You know, it's like if somebody's not educated, well, then they're ignorant. And if they're ignorant, that means they don't know the, the, the truth or the best way to do it. So the only way that you can turn somebody from being ignorant to educated is to educate them. And if, you know, if I'm given that position or that opportunity or put in that position to educate the person i will happily do it but i'm not going to do it multiple times you know (laughs) i'm not going to say the same answer six times to the same question right i'm not i'm not teaching a course here no i'll I'll give i'll give you some of my time yeah but like the other night i was visiting a friend of mine on set and uh he's directing a short and he's getting you know he's getting that like And they're like, you know, we want to have, and it was another makeup artist that was, that was doing the makeup. I was just there visiting. And, um, I just asked him, I said, how much time until cameras are up? And he's like, probably about 10 minutes. And I'm like, okay, so when do you want her on camera? And he goes, uh, probably about 10 minutes. I said, Mike, that's not going to happen. 
I said, you're looking at 20 minutes minimum. And he's like, okay, but you know, I'm just saying, you know, that's, that's, you know, best. I said, I understand, but it's going to be 20 minutes minimum. And so I go into the makeup room and I talk to the makeup artist. I said, listen, I got you 20 minutes to get the makeup done. And she goes, oh, thank God. Because they had been rushing her the entire show and like, you know, and I had to explain to them, I said, there is no world that exists where what you're looking for is only going to take 20 minutes. And unfortunately, that's one of the things that, that I see producers and directors alike uh, forgetting or failing to understand is that it is a process that takes time. And because they don't see what we're doing, because they're not sitting in the makeup room or in the makeup trailer watching us do it they don't understand whereas when they're sitting at monitor and you know camera's like oh yeah we're going to need about another 30 minutes for lighting they're like oh okay because they're watching everything happen but in the makeup trailer they're not seeing anything happen so it lets their mind go wild like well what are they fucking around well, they, yeah like but it? they yeah they also assume there's a lot of grab ass right they yeah. they just assume that you're gossiping and you're bullshitting and a little bit which of we are but we're still working <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, look, uh, wait, 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 uh, well, Ford versus Ferrari. I just want to know, like, there's like no, what the, sentence, there's no like what? gaping wounds in there. Like what's your, what was the, uh, oh. you know, just experience there. Big movie, big studio movie, big movie stars. Just tell us. Oh, it was fantastic. Uh, it was amazing. I was working with people that I'd wanted to work with for a long time. Um, Kenny Diaz is the one that, uh, Kenny Diaz and, and Kenny Niederbaum are the ones that, uh, invited me to be a part of the show, recommended me, and then they brought me on. And, um, I was doing a lot of the mechanics and the background. And then, uh, when Ken left the show, Kenny Diaz left the show, uh, I was primarily responsible for organizing the mechanics and all that stuff. So it was incredible. I mean, you know, seeing all those vintage cars, which were all kit built. You know, there was only one car in there that had a Ford engine, and that was Kristen Bale's GT40. That's the one that had the Ford engine in it. The other ones were the CS10 or whatever the Corvette engine is. <clears throat> uh, Don't say Chevy was involved. Yeah. Alex, thank you. Alex Noble, uh, one of our dear friends, someone who we've worked with personally. Um, it, it has so much experience. We'd love to have you on again. It's been a real pleasure. Anytime. Uh, Alex, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and how deep your love and passion for film goes and effects and, and makeup. It's just, it's really a pleasure. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for everything. That was something. Something for the ages. Something for the record. Books. It'll be. Uh, it'll be as long as the electromagnetic bombs don't go off. That's going to be out there forever. <laughs> the EMP. Yeah. No, that was fun. He's fun. Alex Noble is fun. Thanks for listening and sticking with us. Sometimes uh, they go long, but they're fun. We, you know, uh, we we thought about cutting down some of these. Like, oh, are they too long? But. He's got a lot to say, and he says it in a very uh, amusing and informative way, as we're lucky enough to have him. I'm so. going to say, look, I'm going to say this. If you out there got, if we delivered some 28-minute show, I'm telling you, you would, you'd, it'd be like cra a crack withdrawal. You'd be like, I want, I can't believe it's over already. We give <laughs> you the goods for two, like two hours of goods for free. If you got to drive, let's say you have to drive from like, uh, I don't know, Bakersfield to, to, to San Jose, Sacramento. 
Bakersfield to Sacramento. Or Chicago to Indianapolis. Or... Uh, let's see, Philadelphia Gary, to Boston, Gary to in Evansville, Indiana. There you go. Well, that yo, that's a oh boy, that's, that's a haul. That's a fun one. It's a haul. And a I'm half. telling you, two of those hours would just <laughs> fly by because <laughs> we give you that. We care enough to give that's you two right. hours at least. If we did a 28 minute show, you'd be like, who are these clowns? They came and talked. Well, we're having fun, and we hope you're having fun That's too. Right. And it, it does, you know, we like the conversational aspect. We were, you know, either we're not good enough or we don't want to like be the types that are like reading questions. And we just like to let the, 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 the guest lead us. And Alex has a lot to say. Off so the cuff. Off Can't the shut cuff. that guy up. Yeah, he's 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 a character to be sure. And that's to me that's that was the un realized gem of starting to work in film is that you get to meet a lot of people on sets and there's a lot of big personalities and he's one of them and had a lot of story i actually learned a lot from him from his experience you wouldn't think a special effects makeup artist uh wrong 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 he's a filmmaker just like everybody else he's been through the meat grinder and he had a lot of great advice and seen it, seen it so obviously you know that you just listen you're still here maybe you uh have lost the use of your arms to hit pause that's okay perhaps you've been we're, hitting the head with a hammer and we're kind of conscious <laughs> and we're kind of and you in can your kind of hear of if you are kind of conscious right now and have some sort of <laughs> movement in your right arm or left arm depending on what you're handed uh, remember to smash that like button <laughs> and subscribe. Yes, please. It, it matters. I, it matters. As the I blood drains out of your body, just, right. hit, just grab you, your... When you fall to the floor, stick your finger out and hit like and subscribe on your screen. Follow us on How I Got Greenlit on Instagram and Twitter. HowIGotGreenlit.com yes. for all of your How I Got Greenlit needs. It's a vault. And also email us at HowIGotGreenlit at Gmail. Well, that was Alex Nomo, Alex. Uh, and you're Ryan Gibson. That's me. Thanks so and much for listening. I'm Alex Collegian. Oh, you're Alex Collegian. Take us out, Alex. And we're How I Got Greenlight. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Porn, Satan, drugs, therapy. It's not just the list of what I'm up to this weekend. I'm comedian Kiki Anderson, and those are just a handful of the taboo topics I've poked and prodded at so far on my podcast, Indecent, the show where we peel at the wallpaper of polite society. Each episode digs into the dark underbelly of our culture to dissect the things we aren't allowed to talk about around the dinner table, featuring conversations with comedians, activists, journalists, academics. They all help me figure out the who, what, and why behind what is and isn't acceptable behavior. Indecent with Kiki Anderson, where NSFW meets LMAO. Mwah. Next chapter podcasts.